Welcome everyone, live from McKillop College Werribee in Melbourne, Australia. You're listening to Mac Live on Live FM. My name's Seth Armstrong and my co-hosts today are Dante and Matt. Our special guest today is Michael Wentworth-Bell, Digital Load Founder. Um, hey Michael, welcome to the show. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Uh, the pleasure is all ours. Um, so for the first question, um, how do you start up your, um, like, <laughs> how do you start up the company? Yeah, that's, oh, that's the one. Um, it was like a, um, a bit of a long process, but it's one I kind of fell into. Um, I guess it, if I worked backwards, it, um, it came out of like a love for VR, I had a big passion for it. And around 20, 2014 got my first headset. Um, and I was doing 3D art and animation. And so I wasn't really doing game development, but the headset for the first time was allowing me to kind of all the things I was working on, these animations, all these models, I could um, put them into a video game engine and put the headset on and I could w- literally walk around them. It was it was pretty awesome. And so I kind of spent um, a fair bit of time, 2015 and 2016, at the place I was working at trying to go, we've got to do something in VR. So every time people would visit us, um, even though we were doing like some TV commercials or museum stuff, um, we were doing like corporate videos, I would try and whatever they were doing, I'd just do a VR version of it and try and chuck them in the headset. And people were excited, but they didn't. Um, it was pretty early. And where I ended up starting the company, uh, I was in my spare time at that point just trying to do my own stuff in VR. So I started to do games. And the big one was around Metal Gear Solid. It, I was a massive fan of it um, for, since I was, you know, um, probably a bunch younger than you guys. And and um, no one had done it in VR yet. And, and so I thought... Oh, let's just do a prototype. So I made a video, um, made a, de- a prototype um, of the game, and between Christmas and New Year at the end of 2016, and it got a lot of attention on on Reddit and YouTube and um, in some press and stuff. And through that, actually, a bunch of people joined. Uh, oh, a bunch of people reached out to me, and they ended up becoming employees uh, months and months later. But it took about four months of just kind of um, making this prototype game, still trying to do my normal job to the point where um, like a family um, friend, pretty much someone I've worked with through my job just said, hey, I can, I'm, I'm going to loan you some money. You should quit your job and just give give yourself 12 weeks, try and actually do this full time. And yeah. so that's how the company started. And so, yeah, it was kind of just um, not really planning to start a game company really, it just sort of happened. A bit of a Kickstarter. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was definitely like a Kickstarter. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so, how, what's the growth been for you since the past few years since you started the company? It was pretty slow. Like 2017, it was yeah, just myself, and then um, we we scaled up to about five people over 12 months, and then we at that point we had some funding from Film Victoria and also a, a company in the US. They're called. Um, a tripwire so they they, they oh, do yeah. the killing floor games and man eater um chivalry 2 and they basically gave us a bit of funding to make a vertical slice which is kind of like a demo mm, yep. and that allowed us to basically slowly scale our company to work on aspire one by the end of 2019 we released it and we were nine people and then we started work on aspire 2 and, and now aspire 2 is coming out in about two three months 
Oh, wow. The company's now 23 Ooh. people, so it is sort of like it's scale, more both scale going up. up. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Can I ask a question about Inspire uh, Inspire Two? What kind of difference is going to be from Inspire One? There's there's kind of a few differences that we, when we tried to pitch Inspire Two, we didn't have um we, we we wanted to have like you know everything better, less bugs, um you know a better story. Yeah. And the publishers said, oh, that's not revolutionary enough. If you want to make a sequel, you have to have at least two revolutions. Um, everything you pitched to us, it sounds like an evolution. So come back. And so we kind of went back to the drawing board. And so the two revolutions for Aspire 2, the first one is frames. So in, in their sequel, you can essentially possess, you know, uh, one frame called Cinder. Mm-hmm. He's kind of this operative of the of the future. So you use your VR headset and control um, Cinder on the field, or you yeah. can swap into Sooty, who's three foot tall, tiny um kind of mega stealth bot That's and because cool. it's vr um you you you, you actually feel because you've got stereoscopic vision we um, shrink your eyes to be really tiny so you actually do feel like the world's um massive around you mm. and the, the second revolution is the co-op so you can play one and two can both play as those frames they're the two main things we're, we're bringing to the game that's great that's, that's pretty good. cool um so what are some? What were some of the major issues you faced with um, starting up your company and just making games, or just anything? Oh, heaps. I mean, I think the biggest issues were actually probably around not, not much to do with the game development. Like um, the biggest ones were just around like how do you start a company and how do you um, get all that set up and you know work out things with shares and how do you get um, funding to keep things going um i had a few people advise which was awesome i I do wish i can go back and do it all again that was definitely the hardest part like how do you do the whole company side of it and it it got to the point where um about a few months you know i wasn't actually doing that much game anymore i was doing all the the company stuff and that's also continued for a while and and also the growing of the company like actually growing from nine to 23 people that was the um that was the, easily the most difficult thing that we've done. It was harder than making the first game. It's not to say that there were heaps of development problems too, but we, we were lucky that we had some kind of help from various people in the industry because it was. It, it, we found out you could just reach out to people if they were like, you know, it, it, if you had an, um, a connection, even if you didn't, you could try and find a ways to reach out to like really skilled artists or level designers or programmers. And often they'd actually be very happy to give you feedback and advice. And so we definitely had problems, but that was it. The biggest game problem we had was for Aspire 1, we had to launch it on every VR headset. So it was on yeah. the Quest, um, Steam, Rift, and PlayStation all on day one. That was easily the, the worst problem we had <laughs> game-wise. It was very hard. Very nice. Um, give me a sec. Um, what are some basic steps into a VR experience? What do you mean by that? Like, um, like basic as in like, you know, starting up the company sort of. Um, so you mean like basic steps to making a VR experience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, um, and understand the questions well enough, if you want to make your own first VR experience, is that what you want me to kind of talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, the cool thing is you just need a headset. I mean, I, um, the main one of choice I have is my Oculus Quest. So it's kind of the, um, a fairly popular headset 
Oh yeah. But that's basically the biggest barrier to entry. Like, um, it, it, you know, it costs a bit of money, but with them, you can, you can connect them to your computer and you can get free versions of a game engine. We, we use Unreal Engine, but there's also Unity, GoDot, a bunch of other engines. And so you can um, then download a, a template scene. Uh, and that is literally like it, it, with a, it, it's a bit of a um, rabbit warren just getting everything working once, which is kind of like your tool chain and your build pipeline. You know, like here's the tools you need and here's how you get a game from your computer onto the headset. That's literally the hardest part. And then from there, you've got your first experience. If, if literally most first experiences, you just put the headset on and you're able to walk around a cube or a, you know, a sphere, pretty, yep. pretty boring. But as a first experience, you're kind of like, yes, that's my cube. And it worked. And maybe the color's wrong or something. But once you've got that done, it's so much easier to then just go, cool, well, I'm going to now change that cube into a character and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So, yeah, the first cool. steps are probably also other than the cost of the hardware. Most of the first steps are um, freely available on YouTube and stuff with tutorials and everything like that. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to know um, how difficult was it to release the game on platforms like PlayStation, for example, where they might have a different system to, I guess, Steam or other developers. Yeah, I mean that's one I could talk about forever. <laughs> um, so I, I, I've got a few examples in you. Probably just tell me to shut up, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I think the hardest thing was that the, um, how familiar are you guys and your audience with the different um, headsets out there? Um, I'm pretty yeah. well-informed, I guess. Them too. Yeah. I'm probably like the least informed when it comes to it, but I know a little bit. Very informed, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, well, essentially, like, there's kind of, you know, there's two extremes at one level you have a headset like the Oculus Quest or the Meta Quest, and basically that thing is called an all-in-one standalone headset. So you literally, as a as a player or someone that's, that's bought one of them, you just chuck it on, awesome, good to go. And the only downside is those headsets run with mobile phone hardware, so they're really, really, really limited in what kind of um, like graphics or um, what kind of effects, even what kind of games can you even make. Like, so your game design is totally limited by this um, platform that has, you know, um, very little performance. And at the other end, you've got people that have PlayStation 4s or PlayStation 5s, um, computers with like RTX, you know, 30 series cards that are kind of like, you know, able to do ray trace reflections and, you know, real-time ray trace shadows. Like, it's insane. So you have this extremely big divide. So the difficulty um, first up to make a game for those platforms is you've got to make something that works on both. So with Aspire 1, we were actually halfway through making it on the PC at the high end, and because of the way the funding worked, we were told we're only going to be able to release it if we also support the Quest on day one. So we were just like, yep, we'll do it. We just literally wanted some money to finish the job. We didn't realise that that was going to be very hard because you had to get a game that was designed for like a beast PC and make it run on, you know, we used to call it a baked potato because the quest was kind of like, you know, five watts of power. It was just yeah. crazy. And and so with, with the sequel, our second game, we've designed it for that one, the lowest end first. And we do plan to support higher end stuff, but that'll be a lot easier because we can kind of scale up. Yep. So that's the first challenge. And then the second challenge about the other 
hardware um, platforms, it, it's essentially um, getting onto the store. So a store like Steam, you can get any game on there. That's why there's like 75 games at launch a day sometimes. Yeah. And um, there's no kind of like um, curation of the store. Um, but for PlayStation and for the Meta store, you have to be approved with your concept. Otherwise, they won't even let you sell your game. And so that's the second challenge. And to even get there too, both those platforms have, they call them TRCs or technical requirements. And it's kind of like doing an exam. You give your game. We're actually just about to start our TRC period um, this Thursday for Aspire 2. So you basically give them the build and you say, we're done. The game's ready. And then they will basically test it for maybe 12 weeks and then keep coming back saying, no, nah, doesn't meet, you know, there's there's like 150 guidelines and 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 that's very good because it, a lot of those guidelines are things like you know you have to um, have the right button icons, things to make all the games feel consistent, and oh, yeah. you can't do this and that because people might feel sick. So those are definitely the two hardest things: the the performance and also just the challenge of getting onto the onto the stores. Hmm. All right. Um. So, what are some of the like educational and training uses that you could use in VR? or that you could put in play? Uh, I think it's unlimited. It's pretty yeah. fun. When we were first starting out, we would make our Aspire game and then occasionally we would do contract jobs as a developer. So contract jobs were literally what we did to keep the doors open, keep the lights on, um, make sure we're paying the team and everything. And one of the contract jobs we did was actually for the Geelong Tech School. Um, it was a really cool project. They they came at us and said, oh, we want to have a VR experience that's like an escape room and four students have to work together and get out there, uh, um, get out of the escape room. But because it's in VR, it meant that the escape room can be a space station and it can be set in the future and yeah. four friends have to work together and they have 20 minutes, otherwise the space station is going to essentially like reach um, orbit and um, burn up and stuff. And so it meant we could... Make a, it was a it had an educational element because it was meant to teach um, team building. So they had to solve seven puzzles as a group, yep. and they they were had various different kind of like challenges around them. And and we thought that was such a cool opportunity um, for us. And it also went into the strengths of VR because people felt like they were really there helping each other and um, totally augmented their world. But in in real life, they, they're sitting on a swivel chair, but in their eyes, they're actually like at a Star Trek kind of computer panel, and they're trying to shoot asteroids and, um, you know, fix all these capacitors and stuff. And I think educational um, uses, the, the best one is that you can be teleported into a real uh, location. So, you you know, someone could make a, um, a reenactment of like the, the first fleet discovering Australia or, um, you know, world wars or even like, um, you know, any real event. And if you put the headset on, you really do feel like you're there and it's only going to get better. Like there's, there's new headsets coming um, that allow like your whole table to turn into essentially like a digital display that you can see holograms on Wow! and the prices cool. are getting cheaper and cheaper. And so, yeah, I think education um, is, is to, education and training is two of the main areas. Like there's, there's a great company. If you haven't, um, interview them you should they're based in melbourne and they made a um a firefighter uh experience i don't know if you guys have seen that but you literally have to hold the hose and you put the headset on 
So in your eyes, you're trying to fight a fire in a house, but when you actually shoot the hose, it has a simulation of the same pressure. So most people actually just fall over because <laughs> they don't realize how much pressure is on the hose. Yeah, And that's great because with training, um, you know, you get the exact, uh, not the exact, but you get a very similar kind of um, experience. So you can learn a lot of the strategies without the danger of like a real fire or the cost of having a, you know, simulate a real fire. Hmm. Right. If you're just turning in, tuning in now, listening on Mac Live on Live FM, live from McKillop College, Werribee in Australia. My name's Seth Armstrong. My co-hosts today are Dante and Matt. Our special guest today is Michael Wentworth-Bell a digital load the founder of digital load um i got a question for you what's your favorite vr title ah uh, that is a tough one um I, I would out to, there. <laughs> yeah there's a heap of games and they also have a heap of uh, oh there's lots of different so I, I could probably talk about two there's one called pistol whip um which yep. is a really fun game it's kind of like time crisis you have to kind of like you know shoot enemies and um get to the end it's, but it's also a game that you can finish in about 25 minutes in its kind of campaign structure. So it's a good and, game, but a short one. And, and it means you can play it once a day, really. Like uh, uh, often my routine's been to um, start the day with some pistol whip and yep. then it's a very, very physical game. So if, you, if you're lucky to have some space, I actually clear out parts of my garage. So I've got three by three meters and you actually um, – it's not just shooting enemies. You've got to shoot them in time of music and dodge all the bullets. They end up doing like literal roles in real life and trying to, so it's a real, if you play it on the hardest difficulty, it's in, for me, I, every time I play it, I've got to have a shower afterwards and, and the headset's just, you know, full of sweat. It's a, the actual fitness side of VR, I think is one of the most interesting ones. And I found that in, in COVID during the lockdowns, it was just the easiest way to try and keep, um, you know, a bit of fitness up because you just chuck the headset on you don't even realize that you're um, doing fitness. You, you think you're just playing games. Yeah. And then a, a second one that's sort of separate is um, walkabout mini golf. That game is literally mini golf that you can play it with up to six people. And it was another COVID thing. You can, if you've got six friends that have headsets, which is not that common, you can literally just chill out. Mini golf's only part of it. Most of the fun's like just chatting and, and you can see your friends. They're all avatars, but you know, you, you can, they, it feels like you're um, a sense of really being there when you otherwise can't due to lockdowns or something. So walkabout mini golf is also a great game that, you know, shows off what VR can do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I got a follow-up question to that one. What was the first VR game you played? It was a game called uh, I Expect You to Die. <laughs> and it, um, it, it's, a, it's a kind of James Bond style game. And it came out originally in 20. At the end of 2014, it was the it was just a demo, and it was the first thing I got a headset for, and I'll never forget it because you basically sit in a car, and the whole concept of the game is you got to escape being trapped, and the very first thing it did was shoot a laser at your forehead, and you had to dodge, and oh, I just kept cool. dying over and over, and because I had read all about um, headsets at the time, headsets couldn't track your movement; it could only track turning, and I just didn't think, oh that I could try and move. And then someone else gave it a go and they moved and dodged the laser. And I was like, holy crap. Like I didn't realize that you could even move in VR yet. I, I just yeah. had thought it would be impossible. And then, so for, I'll never forget that game because it was um, dodging the laser. I thought, wow, you can do anything with, with this technology. Yeah. Awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. I'm just wondering um, how, 
like I remember in around about 2016, there was a massive uprising in uh, VR and it kind of boomed. Is it still like uh, uh, popularity wise? Are a lot of people still coming into VR or is it kind of standing still? It was a huge boom in 2016 and it ended up with like um, a, a, a bottom out in 2018. Yeah. So I, I think we had kind of good timing in that if we'd been a little bit earlier um, with Aspire, we would have died because yeah. we just happened to be in mid-development during the kind of lowest area and that's where a lot of games all um, fell over. I think in 2019 when the Quest headset came out that was a big moment and the sales of the headset of the quest were a lot higher than previous and when the quest 2 has come out the the sales have been like even higher it's, it's sort of been really? the most easily the most successful headset ever i, I think next year in my opinion um 2023 will be similar to 2016 in that there'll be that's the year you've got the playstation um vr2 headset there'll be, you know, multiple other headsets coming out. I think it's going to be one of those moments where there's just a lot of headsets. And, again, it remains to be seen whether, um, you know, things will continue to go up but and whether people will, you know, really buy the headsets and, and keep interested yeah. in them. But it'll definitely be like 2016 and that there was a – I reckon there'll be a bit of a spotlight on VR next year, you know, for all the different gaming press and, and media and stuff like that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so other than um, Aspire 1 and 2, uh, what are the, some other things that you've developed? Like not so just far, games or? There isn't, hasn't been too much stuff. We've um, done some small contract jobs. The, the one I talked about with the space station, that ended up taking us about a year, um, mostly because it was delayed with um, COVID and stuff. But it was also our first multiplayer experience the other uh, major one we did was a experience there's a game called richie's plank experience where you have to walk a plank above a building and, and a client approached us and said we want to do something similar so we built something very similar to that we have to walk across the sydney harbour bridge and pick up a koala it was for another trade show so that took us about a month and it had like hand tracking so you could literally um see your hands and then the koala was a real-life um, plush toy koala, and it was one-to-one -one, um, modelled with the game one, so it had a tracker on it. So you could hold this koala and you had to run back, and halfway through, in your eyes, the bridge would um, snap in half and you had to take a leap of faith. You have to step forward about 40 centimetres. So that was another really fun experience for us. Yeah. Um, and outside of that, it's um, in the five years as a company, that's mostly been it. It's been... A, couple, a few, like really just a couple of contract jobs. Other stuff we've done VR for have been more just like you kind of like two day long, put the headset on, uh, two day long development time things for us where you kind of just put a headset on and view something in 3D, take it off. There's not really any interactions. Um, the rest of the time has really just gone into Aspire 1 and 2. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, what was what do you reckon is the future for VR? Like, how do you think it's gonna like rise in the future, or do you reckon it's gonna stagnate for a little bit? I think it will continue to rise at a um, like if it continues to rise at the rate it's rising, that's gonna be pretty awesome because there's things like you know, um, there's always like kind of limits to what you're allowed to talk about as a developer. I think there's kind of been 
um, stuff that's been announced around like, you know, millions and millions of headsets have been sold in the last kind of like 18 months for, for VR, which is pretty like, that's nothing, that's way higher than what it was like three or four years ago. Yep. And I think um, in the future, there'll be, it's really more around like kind of the overall immersive media. You've got VR, which is where you kind of put your headset on and you're essentially in a virtual place. The world is completely replaced with the um, virtual world. Then there's the new type of headsets or a different type that are, you know, augmented reality um, or or mixed reality where basically you put he- um, a device on your head and you can see the real world and there's, you know, virtual things in that world. So in terms of just VR, I think it'll still remain um, really, really kind of important for things like the gaming, for education and training, the work as well, being able to put a headset on, just your whole room becomes an infinite layer of screens and, yeah. and um, areas. And then the same VR devices will be used to design these augmented reality applications of the future because the VR devices can do a pass-through where you can see the world around you with a video and I think the video will become very high quality and you can use that to then, you know, augment the world around you, put things on tabletops because the actual glasses that can do that technology and and not look crazy, like not massive or not be expensive, they're, they're probably still you know, eight, nine years down the track. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So um, that's all we got time for today. Uh, thanks, Michael, for coming out. No worries. And, um, it's been great pleasure talking to you today, live from McKillop College Werribee in Melbourne, Australia. You've been listening to Mac Live on Live FM. My name is Seth Armstrong, and my co-hosts today were Dante and Matt. All right. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, guys. <laughs>